This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoop Show here on ESPN 700. I'm your host today, Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Zach Harper is sick today. He let me know just a couple hours ago. Well, okay, a few hours ago. Let's give Zach credit uh, that he's he's feeling sick, coming down with a cold. And then I heard later that he was even underselling that, that he's somehow... He's, he's down for the count, so uh, it'll just be me today. But the good news is that we have a fantastic collection of guests, uh, a lot of NBA news to, to tell you about. Uh, the league just agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement. And we've got lots of jazz talk as well. The Jazz have won nine of their last 11 and are, are looking pretty, pretty good. So we want to talk about that. Um, and then we've got some, uh, like I said, some good guests. Tim McMahon of ESPN.com is joining us uh, in just a couple of minutes. We'll talk to him about uh, his kind of new Western Conference rover role and uh, what he thinks about the Utah Jazz. And then we've also had uh, Zach Lowe and Mark Spears on the station early on in the day. We'll play parts of those interviews and dissect them throughout the show. So lots of stuff going on. But I think it's important to start today's show with uh, a recognition of one of the the NBA's media giants. Uh, Craig Sager passed away today at the age of 65 after a a long battle with leukemia. Uh, You know, he was a stalwart for everyone in NBA media, just was so fun to watch on TV. Obviously, the the fashion was a big part of it, but you heard from everyone behind the scenes just what a great guy he was. Um, everyone who worked for him from a production standpoint for, to even the players just all loved Craig Sager. I wanted to play uh, this Rachel Nichols tribute to him. She learned on the air while uh, ESPN was doing their show, The Jump, that Sager had passed away, and, and she gave her really heartfelt and uh, raw thoughts here. Let's play that. Welcome to The Jump. Um, just literally two or three minutes ago, we were informed that our friend Craig Sager has passed away. I'm very sorry to inform you all, Craig. As so many of you know, had such a valiant fight against leukemia. He was diagnosed in 2014. He went through three bone marrow transplants, each one tougher than the last. And I have to tell you, having had so many conversations with him and his family along the way, the way Craig fought this spoke so much to the kind of life that he lived, the kind of values that he had, and the family that he had around him. His son was one of his bone marrow donors. Um, His wife, Stacy, who has been incredible by his side, they just celebrated their anniversary yesterday. And I know it was important for Craig to be able to do that. Um, I know it was important for him to be at one of his children, Riley's basketball games uh, earlier this week when his doctors told him that there was no more that they could do for him, uh, he fought it. <laughs> I was talking to his son uh, just a couple days ago. He did not want to start hospice or go into the last stage of treatment, but he knew that he was leaving his family in good hands and that they had been able to absorb so much of his strength. Um, I want to turn now to... 
Anyway, that was that was ESPN's Rachel Nichols kind of learning of Craig Sager's death and uh, just giving her initial reactions to it. Obviously, they work together as, as sideline reporters for NBA games, different stations, but uh, knew each other well and, and uh, obviously knew of each other's reputation as well. Uh, Rachel's one of the best in the business, and so was Craig Sager. All right, we have uh, ESPN's Tim McMahon joining us on the show. Tim is in Salt Lake City right now um, covering these jazz games. Uh, first of all, Tim, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Andy? Good. Hey, thanks for, for jumping in on short notice and being able to help uh, help as a, as a guest on the show. I wanted to kind of ask you, first of all, to introduce yourself to jazz fans because I, I, you know, you're a bigger piece of jazz coverage than you have been in past seasons. Your, your name is popping up in all these reports about the jazz injury and otherwise. So kind of tell us what your role is right now uh, with regards to the Utah Jazz and the Western Conference. Well, I'm, I might be best known these days as one of the ESPN dudes who was banned by Mark Cuban. <laughs> and uh <laughs> That was related to my role expanding. I've been uh, the ESPN Mavs beat guy for several years now, um, and my role is expanding to basically uh, cover other teams in the Western Conference where we don't have daily beat writers, but uh, teams that we think are relevant or interesting or intriguing and you know need coverage, and the Jazz are certainly at the top of that list. I'll also be spending some time in Memphis. As a matter of fact, I'll uh, go to Memphis for the uh, Jazz's game there Sunday and stick around there for a little while. So we'll certainly be spending some time in Salt Lake City if uh, if your Jazz keep doing what I think they're going to do and, and what they've uh, shown themselves capable of so far this season. Yeah, I remember you were kind of the, the target of that firestorm, if you will. And it it sounds like at least you you got credentials back to Mavs games for the, for the time being anyway. Uh, I think we're going to be all set and all taken care of there for the foreseeable Good. future. Good. Uh, I wanted to ask you about last week you had a report on George's Hill, George Hill's toe, and uh, you had reported that the Jazz hoped that mm-hmm. he would be back by last week, but that's obviously not the case, and, and it seems like that toe injury has, has gotten worse since then. I remember Quinn Snyder said that he was kind of disappointed, or he expected Hill to return by now, but it's, it hasn't healed as quickly as he had liked. Have you heard anything more on, on the status of, of Hill's injury? Yeah, I haven't heard anything in terms of the, the him aggravating it or, or any sort of setback. But you know, as Quinn said, the thing just has not progressed as they anticipated and as they hoped. I mean, originally they kind of thought this was going to be a game to game thing, and you know, and then now we're looking up, and it's uh, you know he, he's still not out. And honestly, watching him pregame yesterday go through, I don't know if you even call it a pregame workout. I mean, there, there's no cutting, there's no running. There's no jumping. There's no pressure being put on that. Uh, essentially, he's doing kind of core strength ex- exercises, and he's doing uh, set shooting, and certainly doesn't look like a guy who's who's ready to roll. And that's obviously disappointing. You know, it, it's amazing that uh, the Jazz have been this successful this season, 16 and 10, despite having their starting lineup on the floor for a grand total of 12 minutes. It's funny the Grizzlies are 18 and 9. Yeah. They've had their starting lineup on the floor for a grand total of 13 minutes. But Hill's a huge, huge part of this. You've seen how good he's been. And at some point, you obviously want to see that group together. Favors now getting back. Obviously, he's going to need some time to kind of get his wind and and uh, and get in game shape. But it would be nice to see how all these pieces actually fit together because, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, the Jazz have still been awfully good. 
Yeah, I mean, let me let me ask you about that because last last year you kind of saw the Jazz struggle a little bit about, against the Mavericks team you covered. Especially, I'm thinking of that penultimate game mm-hmm. where the Jazz really needed to win that in order to make it into the playoffs, and then did not. Uh, and, and you look at this team without George Hill, and, and sure they've added Joe Johnson and, and Boris Diaw, but it seems like they've made leaps beyond adding those players. What have you seen, kind of from the, from the Jazz that have uh, allowed them to have that 16 and 10 record so far, and, and be on pace for 50 wins this year? You know, I think everybody that I've talked to, uh, media people in the league, looked at the Jazz as a team that was ready to make the jump from. Okay, uh, intriguing young team to uh, a playoff team and maybe even a team that could do some damage in the playoffs. And Yeah, that had something to do with three really smart kind of under-the-radar moves in adding Hill and Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw, three quality bets who have a ton of playoff experience. But as much as anything, it had to do with the fact that they had a really nice young core together, and that core was growing. And, and I would argue that the Jazz have been as good as they've been this season because their best young players have gotten significantly better. I mean, look at Gordon Hayward's numbers across the board. He is a much better player than he was a year ago when he was a really good player who was worth every penny that he was making. Rudy Gobert, you can make a case for most improved player with him. I mean, to me, uh, you, you know he's going to be one of the dominant rim protectors in the league, a defense player of the year candidate. He's been that. He's a much better rebounder. He's a ton better offensively. And it's not just the fact that uh, his scoring is up, and, and he's catching the ball better, and he's finishing better. You know, he, he's become a tremendous screener, and I, I think just the impact of him uh, being as effective as he is as a role man really opens up a lot of things. I mean, just last night, how many times did they get wide open threes because the guy guarding the dude in the corner had to sag in because if he doesn't, it's an easy dunk for Rudy Gobert. I mean, it, it, he completely changes the spacing. Uh, of the of the offense, I mean, a, a great role man is as effective uh, a spacer as a as a terrific three point shooter, and I think that's what they get from Rudy Gobert. And then, you know, Rodney Hood, a young guy, he's obviously continuing to grow. So when you've got Hayward, much better, Gobert, much better, Hood, much better. Obviously, the Jazz are much better. That Gobert point's really interesting because, you know, obviously the Jazz shot so well last night from three. I think it was 13 for 25 in the end. Uh, but then Rudy Gobert was five for five as well. So it's it's really a catch-22 for defenses. Do you let Gobert dunk at the rim, essentially? You know, he's leading the league in, in two-point shooting percentage right now at 68%. Or do you let the Jazz's pretty good uh, collection of three-point shooters shoot as well? You know, Joe Ingles at 50%. Joe mm-hmm. Johnson's doing well. Gordon Hayward's uh, probably a better shooter in, in terms of just his skill than the percentages he's shown thus far. Of course, well, Rodney Hood's great been, as well. certainly has been lately with Hayward. I mean, Hayward... Mm-hmm. You know, got off to a slow shooting start, but has been uh, shooting it really well lately. Um, and, and you know, Rodney, I mean, they, they've got a lot of shooters. And I mean, look at uh, look at Gobert's numbers in December. eighty-one yeah. percent <laughs> field goals. I mean, and, and granted, look, the guy's not out there. I think what you might have had this stat: he's made one <laughs> shot outside of ten feet in his career, and that was uh, I forgot maybe against Golden State, it was recently. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You don't need him shooting jump shots. You don't need him trying to beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and adding the sky hook or any, you know, uh, uh, the dream shake with Akeem. No, he's never going to be a dominant post-up player, but he can be a dominant force offensively if he continues screening like he does, catching the ball and finishing. And if you don't respect the role, like you said, 
throw it up high as long as he is and as athletic as he is, he'll go get it and he'll throw it down. And, you know, he might catch and throw it down over his head like he like he did to uh, to seal the forgot who they were playing, but to seal I think that, that was one. the Phoenix game. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is just kind of incredible what he does. I want to ask you your opinion on Quinn Snyder as a head coach, just kind of from uh, until now, until recently, from afar, and then in, in your time here uh, over the last couple of months. You know, I'll be honest, I'm really just kind of getting to know uh, Quinn from, from afar, uh, respected him, you know, know, know that he had a, a good reputation, kind of understood that the style of play that he really came in is not the style that's best suited to the personnel, but, you know, great coaches don't force players to play their style that, you know, they figure out how to best use the personnel. And I think he's done that. And, uh, you know, I, I think this year you can make an argument that he deserves coach of the year consideration, mm-hmm. at least, you know, what are we, a third of the way into the season. Uh, again, just because of how many injuries they've had. Now, you know, if that's your logic, David Fisdale's a, a notch ahead of him. But uh, with the injuries that, that they've had, um, you know, and, and, and they're still right there in the thick of things in terms of the West playoff pack. And, and I also think that uh, you have to give Quinn credit, not, not sole credit, but certainly some credit for the development uh, of their young players and, you know, and of their core players. I, I think it's a culture that he sets. I think it's, you know, work that he does and that his staff does with guys like Hayward and Gobert and Hood. And, uh, you know, I've really been impressed. Now, I will say this. Um, the challenge for him now is now that the Jazz are enjoying a little bit of success and, and more success than, you know, these young core guys have had throughout their entire career, how do they handle it? And, you know, I, I, I think you know him well enough to know that he's going to make sure that guys don't get fat and happy. I mean, we heard him before the game last night talking about, I'm never going to be happy with the defense. But geez, I know they're just the third-ranked <laughs> right. team in the league and allow the fewest points in the league. But he's not going to let them get fat and happy. And, and that's something that uh, I think could be a little bit of a challenge because these guys are, are about to hear from a lot of people uh, how good they are because, let's be honest, they are pretty dang good. Yeah, I, you mentioned Memphis and and their injury woes, but still they're they're finding ways to win games. Obviously, you know the Jazz only being in the sixth seed, despite having won nine of their last eleven, is is pretty surprising, and I think speaks to the overall quality of the West right now. How do you see this all shaking out? I guess uh, you know obviously Houston's got a great team. You look at the top three; maybe they've separated themselves a little bit. What 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 do you see when you look at the Western Conference standings? I mean, obviously, everybody's chasing the the Warriors, uh, and I think we can pretty safely assume the Spurs will be a top three team. I think the Clippers, and going in the season, I certainly assume that. But uh, what the Rockets are doing, and, and and you know the way James Harden's playing right now, mm-hmm. you have to consider them. I still think though, Warriors clear number one, Spurs, Clippers two, three in some order, and then you've got Rockets, Grizzlies, Jazz. Maybe Thunder, you know, fighting for that last uh, playoffs. I'm sorry, that last uh, home court advantage spot in the first round. I think you know, whatever order it ends up, those teams are are four through seven, and then the Blazers will be the eight seed. And, and I just don't see any of the teams that aren't in the playoff picture right now uh, making the jump up and getting in there. 
one last question, and I'll let you go. Uh, uh, the NBA, CBA, uh, they, they came to an agreement on it yesterday. Not officially ratified yet, but it, it does sound like it's, it's, that's just a formality at this point that the two sides have agreed on a deal before today's deadline to, to get one done. What are, your, uh, what are your impressions on it? I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it much in much detail, but it, there are, it sounds like mostly the same sort of things except for a few things on extensions and, and, and whatnot. What, what are your takes? Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, this stuff makes my head spin. And, <laughs> okay. and when, I, when I write about this stuff, I double and triple check, and I call or email Larry Kuhn, and you know, I ask mm-hmm. sources, hey, you know, am I getting this right? Because it, it makes my head hurt. I, I went to school as a business major, took a couple economics classes, and decided that, that all that stuff terrified me, and this is way too much like economics uh, for my taste. Now, having said that, I think the, the, the main thing that could – be a significant factor for the jazz fans is this uh, designated player exception. I was actually reading Tim Bontemps from the yeah. uh, Washington post on this. And, and the reason I say it could come into play for the jazz is because there's a chance that Gordon Hayward could be eligible for it, which means that Utah could offer him a ton more money in addition to uh, more years than anybody else. I mean, a, just a huge, huge difference. Now, he has to make one of the three All-NBA teams this year. Uh, we, we know how stiff the competition is. We know that, you know, if we're being real honest, that uh, he's at a disadvantage for that because he is playing in a, in a smaller market, although I do think the Jazz are going to start getting a lot more attention. But uh, it will be very interesting to see if he continues being a, you know, basically a 23-6-4 and four guy if he ends up on one of those teams because right now you can argue he's having that kind of season. Yeah, it, it, there is, it, you know, if he keeps that up throughout the year, keeps those averages high and, you know, stays healthy for the rest of the year, he obviously missed a few games with that broken finger. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a real case for him to be in that. Obviously, his competition's great. It's it's going to be close between him, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and, and a few other wing players on whether or not he makes that roster. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can we follow your work? You can find me on ESPN.com, on Twitter, at ESPN underscore McMahon. And I uh, appreciate you having me on. And anytime you need me, just give me a holler. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate it, Tim. That's Tim McMahon of ESPN.com joining us on, on the Salt City Hoop Show. Uh, I thought that last point on Gordon Hayward was really interesting. And, and in the 8 o'clock hour, we'll talk about the uh, new NBA CBA in detail. I've got uh, 10 different changes that, that are going to be in that CBA, some big, some small, that actually do have an impact on on the Jazz and the rest of the league. The big one, obviously, is this new extension possibility that uh, that has been added. Basically, in that there is a designated in that there was a designated draftee before uh, on a designated rookie extension now you can give longer and higher paying extensions to veteran players as well guys who aren't just coming off of their rookie contract now those designated players have to be uh drafted by your team or traded to your team during their rookie contracts so Gordon Hayward would qualify for that and as Tim was saying they do have to uh be on Either name the MVP in one of the last three seasons, be on the All-NBA team in their final season before signing uh, this potential extension, 
or be named Defensive Player of the Year, which I think is interesting that the CBA is saying that that Defensive Player of the Year is in many ways just as important as an All-NBA selection. So uh, if a player does qualify for that, then that team can give them a further second extra year and a bigger percentage of the cap, namely 35% of that salary cap. What that would mean is if Gordon Hayward was named a All-NBA player for this year, you know, he's not going to win MVP, he's not going to win Defensive Player of the Year, but it's a possibility that he could be on the All-NBA third team. And if that were to be the case, then we could see the Jazz give him 35% of the Jazz's cap, which would just be so much money. That's honestly, if I do the math correctly, that's about 35 to $40 million per year for Gordon Hayward but it would be something that the Jazz could offer him that no other team would. We know Gordon Hayward, Hayward is a, a frugal individual. He likes, uh, you know, he w- is worried about kind of generational wealth. I think that's an important phrase that's used a lot in NBA circles is that's why you'd want to make $200 million instead of just $100 million is because this affects your children, your children's children, and your children's children. Your, you know, your family can really build an empire based on the, that sort of money. And I think that sort of future will be important to Gordon Hayward as he makes this decision on whether or not to stay in Utah or go elsewhere for the next few years. The other thing on Gordon Hayward um, is that the teams that you may have suspected he'd be interested in going to, uh, Boston Celtics because of his ties with Brad Stevens, the former Butler head coach, obviously. Uh, He could go home to Indianapolis, for example, uh, and bought a home in Southern California. It's... The way he explains it is a, a vacation home. It's an investment, uh, but you know that's somewhere that he would have some ties to if he decided to go to L.A. Those teams all of a sudden look a little bit less uh, less likely the, that Hayward would sign there. You know, the Celtics are struggling a little bit this year. They're they're near the bottom of the, of the Eastern Conference playoff setup. It's not clear that adding Gordon Hayward to that picture would make them necessarily contenders along with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Indiana is really struggling this year. Their roster is really weird, and, and he's kind of a, a interesting fit next to Paul George anyway. Uh, defensive problems with that roster. Heck, offensive ones, too, just in terms of efficiency. And then uh, the Laker teams may not have cap space. He doesn't probably doesn't want to go to a Laker team and lose. And, and the Clippers, I, there's, I just don't see how they open up cap space for him. Uh, even though Zach Lowe reported that they tried to do a sign-in trade for Gordon when he was a free agent back in the summer of 2014. Uh, we'll talk about all this and more next. we got to go ahead and take a break on the show right now. Coming up, though, I want to play a little bit of Zach Lowe's interview with uh, our host earlier on in, on the, in, earlier on in the station today. Uh, Sean O'Connell and Brian Swinney talked with Zach Lowe on, on the show. So I, I want to play a little bit of that interview, talk with him, uh, and and. Uh, break it down what Zach Lowe said earlier on in, on the station here at ESPN 700. Anyway, we got to take a break. That's all coming up next here. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. 
700. <laughs> I'll learn how to say that for the fifth time in the last couple of minutes. Sorry about that. Uh, my name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We're the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Usual co-host of the show, Zach Harper, is out sick, so you just get me today. Luckily, we have some famous guests on the station today to, to be able to play. Uh, the good news is Zach Lowe, who is, honestly, I, I think Zach Lowe is the best sports writer in America right now, period. Is that crazy to say, John? Like, I, I honestly... It's certainly bold. It's Who else is... Who's better? I like Dan Wetzel, but he's more of a columnist yeah. than a... Yeah. That's true. I like, you know, for me, I, I've always loved the analytics and, and the digging into things side. I, I think there are guys who are better storytellers. Yeah. Um, But I don't learn more from anybody besides Zach Lowe. I can get on board with that. So um, I wanted to play a couple of quotes from his interview today. First of all, uh, let's hear about the tangible progress for the Jazz right now uh, that Zach says they're, they're making. Zach, uh, transitioning a little bit, you put out a piece over at ESPN.com that people can read. You asked the question, how do Gordon Hayward and the Jazz go from good to great? And um, I mean, it was a great piece, a fascinating read for anyone that hasn't read it. Do you think the Jazz have all those pieces? I mean, Gordon Hayward and, and Rudy Gobert, who were quoted in the article, I mean, they think this team can still take that next step and, and make that leap. Are you convinced that they have the ability to take that next step? They might be taking it now. I mean, they're 16-10, and 10, they've won 9 of 11, and they haven't been healthy for any of that stretch. I mean, by their standards, they were healthy last night for their win against the Thunder. But, you know, once Favors gets back to playing heavy minutes and George Hill comes back, I mean, this is a team, yeah, I said before the season they're a 50-win team, and I didn't even think that was a bold prediction. I, the, I, to me, if they're healthy, it's disappointing if they don't win 50 games. And, and I, I think they're... They're really, really good, and if they kept this court together, that would grow into a 55-win team and a really good team. The, question, the more interesting question to me is, can they afford to keep all their best players together? And if they can't, who goes eventually? And it's not going to be a happy decision, or, or a, a, it's going to be a painful decision for them. But no, I, I think they might be making the leap now. Clearly, Hayward and Gobert have made leaps individually. I think the Jazz are really good. So, yes, that future question scares me. But I think his point on the Jazz being a 50-win team, if they're healthy, is a good one. I'd throw out that they haven't been healthy at all this season. You look at how many games George Hill's missed, Gordon Hayward's missed, Rodney Hood, Derek Favors, Alec Burks, the list goes on, Boris DL for part of the season, whatever. And they're on pace for exactly 50.461 wins, according to my calculator. So, given all of that, and, you know, admittedly, the schedule's been the 10th easiest in the NBA. So, that's about average, but, you know, that's where they are. Uh, that they are currently on pace for 50.461 wins and have the offensive and defensive ratings they do. I mean, right now, the Jazz are the third best defense in the league, like Ed, Tim McMahon said in our, in our last segment, and the sixth best offense in the league. I just would have never expected that, even with a healthy Jazz team, for them to have that good of an offense. And I think that says a lot about how much each of the individual players have improved. And then also, I think it honestly says a lot about Quinn Snyder's system, which is looking really good nowadays. And speaking of health, I'm just going to jump in here. Yeah. You the, the projected starting lineup for the season, George Hill, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, They've only played together for, like, what, 11, 12 minutes? 12 minutes season? in New York for one brilliant Sunday matinee game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's crazy. And, you know, we, we still may not see that for a few weeks. We, you know, we we talked to, or at least a couple of weeks, we we talked to Tim again, and he said, you know, the, the 
Hey, or sorry, George Hill isn't warming up. Uh, really, he's not moving around before games. He's doing set shooting, but not really cutting or anything like that. So it's going to be a while before George Hill comes back. Uh, and yet that this team has been able to figure out how to win games, especially against good teams like the Oklahoma City Thunder. And sure, they're coming off a back-to-back, and, and they didn't have Victor Oladipo, but it's a good sign. Uh, it'll be an especially good sign if they can get one or two of these next games against Dallas or especially Memphis, who are, who have been rolling it late. Um, the Jazz play Memphis on Sunday in Memphis at four o'clock. Uh, he also talked. Zach also talked about the Jazz not having superstars. Uh, so I, I want to play that quote. It's a different formula. It feels like in Salt Lake City than than we're going to get in a place like L.A., even in a place like New York, who's still obviously developing. Um, it, a lot of people like to say, "Well, this is going to be more like." The Detroit Pistons, who didn't have any one big-time superstar, they had a bunch of really good players. Is that an apt comparison for you? Well, we got to slow our roll a little bit, right? Because the Jazz need to make the playoffs first. Sure, <laughs> of course. Guys. But and the Pistons won a title. But I do think, I mean, I made that comparison last year, writing about them. I just look if everyone, it, if you asked, the, if you gave Dennis Lindsay truth serum and say, would you like to have a top five player? Of course, he would say yes. Everybody would like to have a top five player. Everyone would like to have two top ten players. But unfortunately, only like three teams in the NBA have those players right now. And if you don't have them, you got to try something else. And what the Jazz have done is draft really well, sign targeted free agents really well, made a couple of great trades that change the direction of their franchise. And if that leaves you with a bunch of really good players, maybe you don't have a top 10 player, but maybe you have five of the top 35, and I'm just making up a number, where does that get you? And, and I want to see where that gets them as a fan, as, a, as, as sort of someone who watches all this basketball. I want to see how far that formula can take this particular group of guys. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's always going to be unlikely that you win a championship. It's unlikely for every team to win a championship every year. I, I mean, I think even the Golden State Warriors, were, were they, I think they were barely over 50% favorites this year, but like, even last year's champions are not favorites to win the title this year, right? The, the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, if you're not one of those two teams, your goal isn't to just give up. You know, not uh, all 28 teams can't be the Philadelphia 76ers of the Sam Hinkie era and just not try to win games. Even if you don't have a superstar, you have to try to win games. And, and there have been teams that have been successful with either lesser or uh, no stars at all. You know, we, uh, uh, the usual comparison here is the 0304 Detroit Pistons. But I think someone like the the 2011 Dallas Mavericks is also helpful, where they had you know a, a definite star in Dirk Nowitzki, but maybe not a top tier caliber legendary superstar, top 10, 15 player of all time. You know, and. It, Sure, I I don't think that the Jazz have anyone who is as good as Dirk Nowitzki was then, but if you look at how Gordon Hayward's playing and and take it one step further, maybe he gets to that level. Um, Rudy Gobert might be that impactful defensively, you know, and we just kind of have to reevaluate how we see stardom in terms of a defensive sense. There's there's a lot there. Uh, Station also had Mark Spears. Was this also on during OC and, and Swinney? Okay, cool, it was. So they had Mark Spears on today and, and kind of asked him about the, the Northwest Division and, and where the Jazz stand there uh, and, and kind of what that win in Oklahoma City showed. I, w- I want to talk about that Northwest Division quote first, so let's play that. As we see the Jazz really hitting their stride right now, is this their division to lose? Are they the best team in, this, in the Northwest Division? Mm, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I don't really so much worry about winning the division. I think it would 
certainly would be nice just to, you know, put that banner up. It's been a few years since playoffs have been there and everything. But, you know, I think you guys are more worried about the playoffs, right? Of course. Got to get in. Get there. Um, I think the thing is, can they be a, a number four seed? How high can they go? That That's where I'm more curious about with them. Can they keep this going and it just not be a little, you know, streak? Um, they have the talent to do it, and ultimately some of these games are going to come back to them, the Spurs, the Clippers. They're beating the Spurs, too. Uh, but I'd like to see them against the Warriors. I'd like to see them against the Spurs again. I'd like to see them against the Clippers and see what they do, see where they are. But to me, I think they're what they got to be thinking is, look, let's get top four in the West. Huh? If you do that, the division will come. But if you also do that, you get home court in the first round. Yeah, and then that's big. So the Jazz are currently three games out of that four seed, uh, four seed in the playoffs behind the Houston Rockets. Memphis Grizzlies are currently the fifth seed. Jazz are sixth. Uh, and and you look at how the Jazz have done against top competition against the the playoff teams in either the West or the East. And right now they're five of seven, five uh, five wins, seven losses. So uh, you know, a below five hundred against good playoff teams is is a little bit worrying. You'd you'd like to see the Jazz be able to win those games as well. Now, uh, you know, I fans talk a lot about how this team plays down to its level of competition and I actually don't see that at all. I see actually one of the best teams at putting uh at at beating lower competition. Sure, you you let the Denver Nuggets come back and and get into the game. You let the Phoenix Suns come back and get into the game after you had a 20-point lead, but you ended up winning those games anyway, so that, you know, that matters less to me. Uh, a couple things that we learned from Zach Lowe in his great article this week, and again, if you haven't checked it out, go ahead and go to ESPN.com slash Zach Lowe. I don't know if that's a thing, but just find Zach. Go type in Zach Lowe at ESPN.com and, and read that article. A few things uh, that I, I learned from that that I didn't know, uh, and actually I'm kind of mad that I didn't know about them. First of all, that Gordon Hayward went for a week to go visit Kobe Bryant during this season is is, first of all, kind of fun that he worked on his mid-range game with one of the best mid-range practitioners that we've ever seen in, in the NBA. Uh, but that he kept it a secret is incredible, too. I mean, I went to the guy's tennis tournaments. I, I should be able to get these scoops, and I had I had nothing. It hurts me. Uh, but still, that, that Gordon Hayward met with Kobe Bryant, worked out with him for a week on those sort of skills is really cool, and we're seeing the fruits of that labor so far. He's been great. Uh, using his strength, I think, maybe even more than Kobe did. He's, he's less of a finesse player with that, and, and kind of using his strength to, to make space in the mid-range. I think that's fun to see. Um, certainly not as talented as Kobe in his prime, don't get me wrong, but just kind of using that kind of smart f- footwork and uh, ability to get those shots to go down. I, I think that's been really impressive. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, but the Clippers explored a sign-in trade for Gordon Hayward in the summer of 2014. That's something that wasn't known publicly. Uh, I kind of wonder who that trade would have been for. That Obviously, the Clippers needed then and still need now a good small forward. They're starting Lucrashard and Bahamute, so that's that's not a great state of affairs um, for them. If if not, Wesley Johnson is their second choice, and again, these are pretty replacement level guys. Um, Gordon Hayward would change everything for that team, so I, I wonder who they would have given up at that point. I don't know that they they could have done anything that made it that would have worked made it work for the Jazz, and of course, maybe that's why Gordon Hayward's still a Jazz man today. Uh, and then he also reported that if the Jazz extend anyone, uh, either George Hill or Derek Favors, they have about $13 million in cap space. They can do that. 
with uh, they think it's more Zach Lowe thinks it's more likely that the Jazz extend George Hill. I also get that sense. I, I think the Jazz are are fairly worried about Derek Favors' current injury status. Obviously, came back to play twelve minutes in in uh, the last game here, uh, but still uh, has, is experiencing some knee discomfort both before and after that game. And you know, with his back issues in last year and has kind of missed twenty games in in the last couple of seasons, I think there is a concern that he is actually injury prone. Uh, and, and you know, we may not see him kind of continue the upward trajectory trajectory that we've seen from the other Jazz players. I want to talk about, and and actually, we got to take a break. But in our next segment, I want to talk about another third possible use for that thirteen million dollars in cap space that the Jazz have. And that's on a player that just barely became an unrestricted free agent today. That's Donatus Mojiunas, formerly of the Houston Rockets. There's some weird stuff going on with his contract, and I think it's possible that the Jazz could, I don't know, guys slide under the rug a little bit and, and end up with an extra power forward center combo that might fit the team nicely. Uh, we got to take a break, like I said, but we'll talk about that next on the Salt City Hoops show right here on ESPN 700. Nope. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in to the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson here with you. Uh, so I teased coming into this segment about the possibility of Donatus Yunus signing with Utah Jazz. Uh, and I'm going to call him Demo from here on out because that's what everyone calls him, and you know it's it's easier than all nine syllables or whatever that is. I'm just impressed you've gotten it as many times as you have so far. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so here's the deal. We we mentioned that the Jazz have $13 million in cap space that they can use to either extend George Hill or Derek Favors. Now, the Jazz may not want to extend Derek Favors because of his injury concerns, uh, having missed the last 13 games before last night with the knee injury, having missed a few games last year with the back injury, and still feeling a little bit of discomfort in this knee that has really kind of uh, been a problem for him since training camp. And George Hill's uh, representation may not want a contract extension. Quite frankly, I think if an extension would have been done, I think it would have been done by now. Uh, just because if they the longer they wait in the season, the less there is incentive to do a contract extension. You know, instead of making eight million dollars this year, George Hill could be making fifteen, sixteen. But now that we're already two months in, we're talking about thirteen, fourteen, and that kind of incentive decreases. So if there's if an extension isn't going to happen, it just makes sense for the Jazz to use this money uh, in order to make their team better this season. And I think. Uh, there also is kind of a window of opportunity here, which is weird because, you know, sure, the Jazz haven't made the playoffs yet, but this is also the year where they do have everyone under contract. You know, there's there's no worry about Gordon Hayward leaving this season because he, he won't be a free agent until this summer. Um, you know, Rodney Hood's on the roster. Derek Favors is on the roster. Uh, Rudy Gobert, Dante Exum, all these guys that you may not be able to pay two years down the road, you you have on your roster already. Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw, George Hill aren't getting any younger. This may be, in many ways, the the peak of of the Jazz uh, roster-building possibilities given when these extensions start to kick in. So anyway, it may make sense to use that money on a current player, and Demo is a a good possibility. So he's, he's got a weird, weird, weird history. You know, it's weird that a guy would be an unrestricted free agent right now during the middle of the season. But uh, so kind of where this all starts is he was on the Rockets for a few years, 
Um, and this is his it was his fourth NBA season last year, and then was traded to the Detroit Pistons at the trade deadline. Now the Pistons ran the physical on Demo and found that he had a and he failed that physical. I would think it was a back injury that caused him to fail that. So he came back to the Rockets. That trade was nullified and actually played pretty well for the Rockets down the stretch. Maybe even got them some wins, which of course. The Rockets making the playoffs made the Jazz not make the playoffs, which really frustrated me. So in many, if this Demo trade would have happened, it's possible that the Jazz make the playoffs last year and, and the Rockets don't. But anyway, um, never got a restricted free agency offer until about a week ago. Maybe it was two weeks ago uh, when he signed on with the Brooklyn Nets. They're looking, obviously, for as much talent as possible. They're looking for assets. He was one out there, and it was kind of the deadline for him to be able to sign a restricted free agency offer. So Brooklyn signed him to a four-year, $37 million deal with a lot of uh, incentives in there. Now, Houston matched that offer, but the deal with matching is that you have to match only the base terms of the contract, not necessarily the incentives that are signed as part of that contract. Uh, Demo and really his representation, B.J. Armstrong, weren't happy with that. And so they uh, negotiated with Houston. And as Adrian Rojnarowski reported last week, signed a four-year, $35 million deal, kind of in the middle of of these two numbers, where he would still get some of these incentives, but not all of them. Now, earlier in the week... Uh, Woes reported that Houston was still getting medical info, and then today Houston reported that they actually renounced him altogether, making him an immediate unrestricted free agent. Now, at the time of him signing that deal, or sorry, at the time of the uh, failed physical, the second failed physical, the one this week that caused the unrestricted free agent status today... uh, ESPN's Calvin Watkins reported that multiple sources said that there were two teams in serious talks with Demo about Motiunis about an offer sheet, but the Nets deal, fully guaranteed in the first two seasons based on some triggers, was more attractive. On the other hand, there's a rumor out there on various message boards. Uh, the Houston one is called Clutch Fans. Uh, I think it's called Clutch Fans. I'm pretty sure. The Jazz one's called Jazz Fans. But anyway, uh, that the second team there was actually the Utah Jazz. Now, I haven't been able to independently confirm that by any means. I'm not reporting that. I'm telling you what's out there on the internet, and there are a lot of crazy, crazy things on the internet. Don't get me wrong. But there have been ties with the Utah Jazz and Donatus Motiunas. Uh, furthermore, there are only about six teams that actually have the cap space to sign Motiunis. Uh, I believe it's Denver, Minnesota, Philadelphia. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting Brooklyn is one of them, the Utah Jazz, and I'm, I'm forgetting one more. But all of those teams have kind of good young big cores and, and really may be difficult to slide to find minutes for him. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't sign any... It doesn't make any sense at all to sign Demo to a deal if Derek Favors is healthy. Because you want Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert and Trey Lyles and, and really Boris Diaw or Joe Johnson playing as many four minutes as possible. Jeff Withey's not going to get any time. You're not really worried about it right now. But if Derek Favors isn't truly healthy and won't be able to play starter minutes for the rest of the year, now you start to figure out ways. You have to figure out ways that your team can be good um, without him playing those minutes. And Signing a guy like Demo, who can play both the four and the five, has a, a good stroke from the outside, is kind of a nifty passer at times, uh, and would kind of fit in well in, with Jazz's offense, that might make some sense. Uh, 
he's not a good defensive player, and so you'd need to play him probably with a good defensive unit. But that might be the best you can do with a with the cap space that's available. The other option is kind of wait till the trade deadline and hope some team needs to dump some salary. The problem is there are those six other those five other teams with a lot of cap space, so you're probably not going to win a whole lot of those situations. Anyway, it's a really complicated situation. It's something that really hasn't ever... I don't think it's ever happened in, in NBA history, at, at least with the restricted free agency rules working as they are, for a team to have matched a deal and then kind of go back on it and renounce that that matching just a week later. Uh, as it stands right now, they're working with the league in terms of figuring out whether or not the Brooklyn Nets can sign him to a deal. It, the way the CBA is worded, the current CBA is worded, it doesn't sound like they would be able to, but the league might make an exception because this is clearly not the use case they had in mind when they were writing that rule of a team making a, a, a offer, then having it matched, and then having it renounced. It seems like the Nets should be able to, just in fairness, be able to offer him an unrestricted free agency deal, but that's not clear. If that doesn't happen, then the Jazz might be the leaders in the clubhouse for a short one- to two-year deal that would fit the Jazz's salary cap timeline uh, and make them better this season and maybe next. We may see some non-guaranteed years. We may see something like that. Anyway, that's the whole breakdown of the Demo situation. I know it's really complicated. Got to take another break. Next uh, segment, we'll have the CBA talk about the new collective bargaining agreement in the NBA next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. For the best... Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. That's a lot of pressure, ESPN intro voice. The best analytics, the best breakdowns of the NBA? I mean, it's a high standard. You wrote those intros, didn't you, John? I did write those, and I feel like so far they've lived up to the expectations. Okay. that's uh, Even without Zach? Uh, previous shows, yes, this show's still in progress, <laughs> but so far, so good. Okay, well, yeah, it, it could go worse. We we shouldn't jinx it by saying it's going well. Um, Zach Harper, our usual co-host for the show, is out sick, um, laying in bed right now, probably sleeping, let's be honest. He's it's, definitely listening to the show. I'd, if, he did, if he has more power to him, hi, Zach, hi, uh, hope, hope you're doing well. Uh, Turn down the music so you don't get a headache. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, we've got a good music segment coming up later because the Jazz are doing uh, player individual player intros for introductions. So that basically, the players get to choose their own songs, kind of like it, baseball has walk-up music. Better, yeah, exactly, walk-up music. Now NBA or at least the Utah Jazz are doing walk-up music for players. Uh, just starting introductions, so not bench players, which is kind of a bummer. Wouldn't it be cool if, like... When they checked in, yeah. they have the uh, the walk-up music? Yeah, why not? That'd be awesome. Right. Be they great. should do that. Yeah. But just for starting, you know, there's already so much innovation that can happen at, at one time. And uh, the Jazz are, are doing that, or at least did that in their in their first game, trying it Wednesday. Um, so we'll, anyway, we'll play those songs and, and talk about that later on in the show. Um, for now, I want to get to your questions, and if you guys have any more questions, please feel free to join me. Uh, since Zach isn't joining me, I need your guys' questions and comments, concerns, criticisms, etc. Um, you can tweet me at Andy B. Larson, or you can call in to the show 877-353-0700. 
Uh, we'll start out with our favorite Greek jazz fan, Giorgio Spinias, says, Hi from Greece. It is 4 a.m. here. Thanks just so much for listening, dude. Uh, every week, I love that you're up at 4 a.m. and listening to our show. It's the best. Uh, can we beat the Clippers in a playoff series if both teams are healthy? I really think so. Like, uh, I, I think the Jazz are really uniquely poised to play the Clippers really closely in a series and, and maybe even beat them. You look at most teams can't deal with the size, right? That's that's the biggest issue of having playing against bl- both Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, and they can't deal with the shooting. Uh, you know, if, And if they can deal with the size, they can't deal with the shooting of, of J.J. Redick and, and then the, the excellent mid-range shooting of Chris Paul. And you know, all of those things are, are definitely still true and, and are, would be hard for the Jazz to play against. But on the other hand, I don't know that the Clippers have an answer for ha- the Jazz having two excellent perimeter scorers in, in Rodney Hood and Gordon Hayward. And Rudy Gobert answers a lot of questions for the Jazz on the, in the interior. I mean, just in terms of preventing Chris Paul from getting to the rim, uh, rebounding with Blake Griffin. Uh, you know, I think DeAndre Jordan and Rudy Gobert are pretty similar players at this point, except Rudy Gobert might be better at uh, both defense and offense. Is that? I don't think that's crazy to say. I think Rudy Gobert might be better at just both skills. Um, certainly free throw shooting on the offensive end, and then defensively, I think he's a better defender in space uh, than, than DeAndre, although I, I think DeAndre's gotten better at that. So, But anyway, uh, then you look at the two benches of both teams, and while the Clippers' bench is better this year, I, I don't think it stacks up to a healthy Jazz bench, which you know CBS Sports called the number one bench in the league. So I think there's a real case to be made that I don't think the Jazz would be favored in that series, but I, it's definitely not a matchup that the Clippers want whatsoever. That would be your 3-6 matchup today, by the way. I... Uh... I think the Clippers without Chris Paul are kind of meh. Right. And right. I, I presumably I, they would have Chris Paul. Right. But I I think the Jazz are a tougher team, a mentally tougher team. Uh and that's very subjective of course, but I think that goes a long way in the playoffs. I would again, I don't know if I would pick the Jazz right now if I had to put money on it, but I mean, the Jazz have every shot as yeah. have a, as good a shot as any other team. Yeah. No, I I think that's fair. Uh, we've got one from Francis Gagne. I don't know if it's pronounced like Eric Gagne or like I had a teacher that was Gagne, I think is how you pronounce it. And I, I don't know. Even if it's right, that's wrong. Right. Um, anyway, with Hill and Burks injured and planning to be back before mid January, what will Burks, Exum, JJ, Ingles, Lyles, Yaw, Mac roll be? So the entire rest of the bench, I guess. Uh, that's a lot of players to mention, but it's it's a real question. You know, what role does Alec Burks play when he comes back? Obviously, coming off the bench, he makes the most sense there as as a bench scorer. I think that's kind of what he was born to be. He needs to figure out how to play as a defender on a team, which is going to be difficult given that he hasn't really played with a team in a year. Um, so that's the one thing he's got to figure out. I think. As a result, he gets spot minutes and kind of uh, second quarter, fourth quarter minutes, uh, minor minutes until he figures out the defensive end of things. Um, Don Taxum is probably splitting backup point guard minutes with Shelvin Mack, depending on who's playing better and depending on matchups. Joe Johnson is your off the bench, uh, maybe your first sub to allow Gordon Hayward to come out of the game sooner and then get him in the bench role uh, and kind of as, as a leader of that second quarter unit. Joe Ingles... Joe deserves to play, man. I mean, like, 
if he's shooting 50.8 from three percent from three and doing all the other stuff he does, like he should be on the floor as a, just a floor spacer. If if he can play with the Jazz's players and and if you need if you need a three point shot, if you need just general floor spacing so everyone else can do your, their thing. Lineups with Joe Ingles at the three or at the four uh, and, and kind of a four-wing setup make a whole lot of sense. And I think he's going to be used uh, He's going to be used a lot as the season continues, especially even as players get healthy, especially as uh, the Jazz figure out kind of what matchups work for them if they like going smaller or if they like going big. Trey Lyles is your, your backup four along with Boris Diaw, depending on whether you need offense or defense, probably just honestly depending on the score. Uh, and yeah, you, you, I already mentioned Shelvin Mack. So it's a, it's a weird setup where, you know, if everyone gets healthy, all of a sudden the, the depth is incredible. And, you know, someone like Boris Diaw is going to play two to three minutes a game. And, and Alec Burks is going to play five to 10 minutes a game. Uh, just because Joe Ingles, Joe Johnson, the rest of the jazz bench have shown that they're, they're worth, uh, worthy of playing time. Probably, you know, Jeff Withy's an odd man out, but even he's played great in the last month or so. So, great question. Uh, Sean asked, Sean P33, is Derek Favors kind of expendable now? Should Hill extension be the priority over Derek Favors? I mentioned this earlier on in the show. I don't think Derek Favors is expendable. I do think that there are real concerns about his injury woes uh, and, and his knee in particular. And if they aren't going to get better, then... You maybe you can explore a trade, and 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 that's not to say that you want to pull one over the eyes of the other NBA teams who are all capable of running physicals and seeing how Derek's knee is for themselves. Uh, but you have to make that that decision is is sixty one games and and maybe a eighty percent Derek favors worth what he would be making in an extension, and uh, the answer is probably no based on what we know of what we've seen of eighty percent Derek favors so far this season. It's it's a good player. It's a serviceable player. It's not kind of what we've seen from him in years past. I I really hope he gets it together. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I and I think more than likely he does. But I I think there's that worry there, and you you really do have to play the percentages. Um, George Hill. I think the extension probably should be the priority, just because there's not a clear second way to get a point guard in this market. But I don't think that it's particularly likely that he signs one because I think he wants to hit free agent. Um, San Antonio Spurs are going to need a successor to Tony Parker. And George Hill really likes San Antonio. And San Antonio and, and Greg Popovich and, and RJ Buford, uh, RC Buford, excuse me, uh, really like George Hill. So there's going to be some competition for his free agent signature this summer if there's not an extension. And, and quite frankly, I don't think there will be. Uh, I think that's all the questions. Oh, did Demo fail the physical? Um, it's not exactly clear what happened with the physical. Like, they said that he did, and, and they were just doing some body scan stuff to follow up on the physical, and then that they released him today says something happened there, whether that relationship got too toxic or they found something in those body scans that they've taken over the last 48 hours that really disqualified him from getting a contract with the Rockets. That's the big question is, if you're going to sign Demo to be a healthy alternative over Derek Favors, he has to be healthy. <laughs> uh, you don't want an injured player that you're, you're signing a, a contract to, even if it's just a short-term one. So anyway, that's your questions for today. Uh, if you want to ask more for later on in the show, tweet me at Andy B. Larson, or you can always call us 877 877- 3530700
All right, I want to talk about the new collective bargaining agreement. Even though Tim hurt my feelings a little bit earlier by calling it like economics, like his economics classes in college, he was so bored and, and didn't you know want to. It's not everybody's favorite topic, but I, I think he, uh, I think there are enough issues here that affect the future of the league and, and the future of basketball as we know it, professional basketball, I suppose that uh, that we should talk about it. And of course, the first one is this big designated player extension. So the idea is that teams can extend two veteran players for six years. I should point out that before we get started, the collective bargaining agreement was agreed to by both the players and the teams yesterday. Um, it's a deal that will last through the 2023 season, uh, although the teams either side can opt out in 2022. So anyway. Uh, so on this extension, this designated player extension, Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post has some really good color on this today to kind of explain what was going on. It's not applicable to this summer's, uh, sorry, it is applicable, not applicable to these summer's free agents unless they qualify in one of two ways. Either they make one of the three All-NBA teams, remember they do an All-NBA first, second, and third team with a with the player at each position. Uh, or they're named Defensive Player of the Year or Most Valuable Player for this prior season. So if this season any of those players make the 15 All-NBA team spots designated or Defensive Player of the Year or MVP, and presumably the MVP would be in the All-NBA conversation, then they qualify for this DPE, this Designated Player Extension. Or they can be a good player in years past. So they can have made the All-NBA team in two of the last three years or have been named defensive player or most valuable player of the year uh, for one of those past three seasons. Now, the Jazz don't have any of those players right now, but Gordon Hayward uh, has a, is a candidate to make an All-NBA team. It would have to be an All-NBA third team in all likelihood, but there's a case that you can make that he's probably uh, maybe the third best small forward in the league. If you count, it kind of depends what you count some guys as. Is, is Paul George a small uh, a small forward or a shooting guard? Is is Jimmy Butler a small forward or a shooting guard? Butler, for example, has played more minutes at the shooting guard position during his career, but is playing more small forward minutes this season. What will they count him as? Um, and it really makes a difference on whether or not the Jazz would be able to re-sign Gordon Hayward because then he would be able to get 35% of the cap as a designated player and be extended for an additional year, a, a sixth year, where all the rest of the teams in the NBA can only sign him to four. In other words, they'd be able to sign him for roughly $60, $70 million more than any other team, which is, probably sounds pretty appealing to one Gordon Hayward right now. Uh Steph Curry, DeMarcus Cousins, Russell Westbrook, John Wall are all eligible for that extension. Uh, Kevin Durant is not uh, because he wasn't on the team that signed, that either drafted him or he wasn't traded while he was on his rookie deal. So it kind of has to be an original team player. So uh, Kevin Durant, since he moved teams in free agency this season, is not eligible for this designated player extension. Was that confusing or what? No? That was clear? That's as good There's as mud. Cool. All right. Well, that's, that's not nice. <laughs> I'm trying to do my best here, John. It makes sense. That I like it. Uh, I mean, Kevin Durant and players like him aren't being screwed by this. Uh, it's just an extra bonus to, to benefit the teams that will take a chance on the guy and hold through him 
through the years. And really small market teams that may otherwise struggle to keep those guys. In fact, can we play the Zach Lowe quote? Because um, he, he talked about that earlier on ESPN 700 today. In your article, you said the new CBA deal is good for a team like the Utah Jazz. Convince me why. Well, anything that helps a small market team retain its own stars um, is a good thing. And this won't necessarily apply to Hayward, and they've already got Gobert under under wraps with an extension. But somewhere along the line, if you're able to say, hey, look, under the old deal, I was able to offer you only one more year than anyone else. But this year I can offer two, and I can offer bigger raises or whatever the specifics turns out to be. Any way to make that gap between Utah and everyone else bigger is good for Utah. And, you know, if they do end up having to trade somebody for cost reasons or deduct the luxury tax or whatever, and that somebody happens to be in an expiring contract, you know, those same rules could help teams. You know, you acquire them. Maybe you don't, you're not able to offer this sort of special extension that's going to be in the new CBA. But anything that helps you retain your own players, well, that helps their trade value too. Yeah, I think that's a good take and, and is a good way to look at it that, you know, the Jazz are going to have to make hard decisions on some of these guys. You know, maybe you decide Trey Lyles isn't long for this franchise but may fit these extension criteria and you you want to trade him or uh, it, whatever the case might be. I mean, okay, Trey Lyles is probably not an all-NBA player, but... Uh, anything, as Zach said, that improves the extension ability of the players on the roster is going to help the Utah Jazz. Uh, I also think another thing will help the Utah Jazz, and that's this introduction of these two-way contracts. And, and this has kind of been talked about um, for a long time now. How do we make the D-League more relevant in an international player market for professional basketball players? Right now, D-League players make, like, just no money at all. Uh, okay, it's... The top D-League players make $25,000 a year. The bottom ones make $17,000 a year. So that's that's nothing, right? Like it, guys can go to Europe and make dollars $100,000, $200,000 when they face, or they can make $25,000 playing stateside, probably where they'd play, uh, and, and have a better chance of making making the NBA. D-League wants to become more competitive. The NBA wants the D-League to become more competitive. And so they're kind of introducing these taxi squad spots where uh, they're technically on the NBA roster, but they will be also eligible eligible to play for the D-League. The rules aren't quite clear as to whether or not teams would be able to call up other teams' taxi squad guys, if you will. I think right now the understanding is yes, but uh, you know those details and, and when you'd be able to do that and whether or not there would be compensation for those picks uh, would be is is still up in the air. We just don't know uh, until it's the the deal is officially ratified and released. But anything that helps the D League grow is going to help teams like the Utah Jazz, like the San Antonio Spurs, kind of these early to medium term adopters of of the D League. Because you know we we've seen the Jazz lose guys like Jack Cooley, like Olivier Hanlon, uh, that they would have liked to keep on their roster but couldn't because. Quite frankly, they couldn't pay them enough. And now those guys are, are doing well over in Europe. Uh, one and done rules going to remain in place. So for now, that's still kind of tabled, it sounds like, from the NBA and the, and the Players Association. But for now, guys still have to go to at least one year of college to qualify for the NBA. Uh, there was some talk of doing a Major League Baseball zero or two setup where like you can either go from high school, but if you go to college, you have to stay there for two years. I like that less, personally. Um, just because uh, I think more guys, uh, I think one year of college is good for guys. I, 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 I don't know. I, I think if you're going to allow them to go out from high school or go to college, if they're going to go to college, why can't they leave whenever they want? I guess is, is, is my point. Um, 
I really don't like the college football system of waiting until guys are juniors or seniors. Uh, and and I, it's good for college basketball and it's good for college football. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily good for the NBA and I don't think it's necessarily good for the NFL. Maybe more so for the NFL just because that's more of a physical league. But uh, I think you know we'd be missing out on guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo right now and, and Ben Simmons when he gets healthy. And you know, that's some 19, 20, 21, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, some of these guys who have shown an ability to contribute right away uh, that we wouldn't necessarily see if they uh, had if they, that one if they were three and done, let's say, like, like the NFL is. Uh, the over 36 rule, which limited extensions on players who are over 36 years old, is now the over 38 rule. Uh, that's basically thanks to LeBron James because he was going to make less money as a result of that rule, and now he will still now he'll be able to sign a big money deal. So, congrats to LeBron James um, for deserving your max contract when you're old enough. Uh, and then there are just some kind of minor things. But I think really an interesting one is that the NBA uh, Players Association got player licensing like the NFL players do. So they can sell their rights to basically Madden or NBA 2K, and they're the ones who get the money from that sort of licensing uh, or to you know trading cards or you know, whatever the case might be. The Players Association now owns those rights, not the, not the league, which is, which is fun. May mean, you know, NBA 2K has to pay more money to the Players Association for that contract, but whatever. Uh, so long as we get an NBA 2K, that's that's all that matters to me. By the way, bring back NCAA football, because I've, I've been playing NCAA football 2014, and it's it's a lot of fun. That's, that's my hot take, is bring back fun things. Um... They're also improving pension and healthcare plans for retired players. NBA pensions are expected to rise nearly 50% for former players, even uh, so even the old former players, not even new former players who retire now, but old guys too. Uh, they're going to receive pension payments starting at age 50, so that's cool. Uh, and then you get an increase if those players uh, elect to begin payments later on. So if you're having a successful career um, and you want to wait to defer that, those pension payments to later, those NBA players can, which is good. There are a lot of guys who, you know, you've you've seen the broke documentary and everything else, guys who spend all their money and, and go broke and, and really the league's just trying to, or really the Players Association is trying to look out for those guys so they don't end up uh, like you know, doing something terrible on the street, let's be honest. That's that's really kind of the worry. Uh, revised health policies for current players. There are a few interesting points here. Um, when players need a second opinion, which is happening all the time in injuries right now, there is now a formalized program for uh, teams and players to agree on who that doctor is. That's been a... a case of a, a lot of controversy around the league. Even with the Utah Jazz, guys like Alec Burks getting third and fourth opinions from all these different doctors and trying to figure out what um, what's real, what's reality, which uh, which advice they should take and which shouldn't. Having a, a formalized program for that will help. Uh, the new CBA is going to have uh, some mental health challenges procedures, which we've seen guys need from Larry Sanders to Meta World Peace. That's going to help uh, those players who need it. And they're also forming a committee to study the issue of uh, wearable technology. Remember, Matty Delavidova was actually wearing one of those technical suits during a game, kind of those body suits where they track your velocity, they track your muscle movement, those sort of things. That's right now illegal, but the NBA wants to study to figure out uh, what's a good balance between good information for the teams while 
still protecting the players' uh, privacy concerns. So, uh, And then there are going to be new policies for dom- domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. Uh, there's a policies on how to investigate those, on how to discipline those, and how those would be appealed as well, any punishments that were given. I really like this edition. There's a confidential hotline for both players and their families. So if, you know, if domestic abuse is happening in an NBA player home, they can call this hotline and get the help that they need without necessarily the players or anyone else in that situation or the teams knowing about it. Kind of a, a safe space for those, uh, for those individuals who, who need that help. So all in all, it's, it's not a huge amount of change in the CBA. The biggest thing is honestly that I'll have a job beyond this summer, so we won't have a lockout, which is, which is great. I'm a big fan of having a job. Uh, that we get NBA basketball for the next five to seven years is, is a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm excited to see how the league evolves. These are just good common sense steps that I think make the league better and more interesting for the years to come. Anyway, we got to take a break. Next segment, we'll go around the NBA, talk about all the latest news, notes, and details from around the NBA. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show right here on ESPN 700. Sunday on Compass Media Network's Coast. This is Around the NBA on Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson here with you. John LaFollette, our producer, is joining me for the segment and really has been throughout the show because Zach Harper, our usual co-host, is sick and sadly out. Uh, let's get started with the NBA news, though. First of all, this affects the Utah Jazz with their matchup with the Memphis Grizzlies this weekend on Sunday. Uh, the Grizzlies did officially waive Tony Douglas today. That means more than likely Mike Conley is coming back uh, sooner rather than later probably almost certainly in time for their matchup this Sunday. Also sounds like Chandler Parsons may be on his way back as well. Uh It's crazy how good the Grizzlies have been without those guys though. Like are they still 19 and 8? They're 19 19 and 18 and 9, excuse me. That's pretty good. And that spells trouble for the Jazz this weekend. Uh it's going to be a good test for I mean if if they're going to go to the playoffs, they're going to play teams like this, so you might as well play them now, but uh, you also want to stack up wins, but I think it's going to be another test to to show how good the Jazz are if Mike Conley does indeed play. But um, if you're looking for a blowout win or a comfortable win, I don't know if that's uh, that's going to happen this week. Yeah, the Jazz will need to have smart defenders uh, in order to figure out how to how to beat the Grizzlies. But you know, to their credit, teams have found that really hard recently. Uh, Russell Westbrook, now that he's had two whole straight games without a triple double, he is sick of the triple double talk. Uh, but let, let me pull up the quote. Sorry, uh, it's first of all, it's just hilarious that the guy had seven straight triple doubles and then all of a sudden is now fed up with with missing two. He says, honestly, man, people in this triple double thing is kind of getting on my nerves. People think that if I don't get it, it's like a big thing. When I do get it, it's a thing. If y'all just let me play, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. It is what it is. I really don't care. For the hundredth time, I really don't care. So what did he even say there, other than? Okay, whatever. Yeah, for the um, I don't. I get it. I get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't care. <laughs> if it happens, it's a thing. If it doesn't happen, it's maybe a thing. But I, I mean, good Look, for him. That's impressive. Getting seven triple doubles. Yeah, he says that it that he doesn't care about it. Of course, I, he cares. I he cares about it. You you just watch the way he plays, the way he goes for rebounds uh, against his teammates, basically, um, the way he'll 
go for assists when he's at eight or nine assists in the game tells me that he cares about it. I think he cares both about that and averaging a triple-double for the whole season, which he's currently on pace to do, which is crazy. And as long as he plays like he's concerned like that, Oklahoma City won't be a great team. and He won't be a great player. See, you say that, but then over the last two games when he hasn't gotten a triple-double, they've lost, and for the seven before that, they won. So, But he's, he's not facilitating making his teammates better if he uh, plays like that. Uh, yes and no. I mean... Uh, assists are, it's, we've seen assist chasers before. I think Rondo last year is a great example. Uh, and yeah, okay. Maybe, I'm okay with him chasing it if it's not in close games. And honestly, they haven't played a lot of close games recently. Uh, if it is, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a different scenario. I don't know. I, I think, uh, I, I have Two minds on this. First of all, he's just an incredible player, and it's probably my pick for the MVP so far this year. Fun uh, to watch. Very, very fun to watch. But, yeah, I, it's – he. I, I wish he would be honest with us and say he cares about the triple-doubles. Yeah. Uh, Moorhead State – this is an NBA, but Moorhead State coach Sean Woods has been charged with battery after shoving players in practice? Oh, jeez. We were d- talking about earlier today when I was with Josh Grant on the Bill Riley show yesterday. OC and Sweeney were talking about coaching styles. Uh-huh. Do you want to be a player's coach or do you want to be a hard case? I think this is on the you, extreme you end of the hard case. Be arrested for battery? No, you can't do that. that. And like this is not endorsed by any hard case coach. Right. And we hear like all the stories of Bobby Knight, and I mean even up on the hill, but. Uh, and sure, maybe we're in a new era where you can't throw chairs at players anymore. But oh man, that's probably for the best. <laughs> you, you can't shove players. I don't care who you are. Right, you, you can't do that. Uh, Lamar Odom, formerly of the Los Angeles Lakers, checked himself into rehab. Um, at least he's getting the help he needs. Is is my hot take? Yeah, and I'm glad he wants that help. Or at least right. he appears to want that help. He's in a tough situation, and frankly, he's probably lucky to be alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Good for him for trying to figure things out. Good point. Uh, Kevin Durant has donated $57,000 to allow homeless Oklahoma City kids to go to school. So even though Oklahoma City doesn't love him, he still loves his hometown. Yeah. I guess not quite hometown, but adopted hometown of his, seven years. His professional hometown. And good for Kevin. He has tons and tons and tons of money. That's good to give back to the community that really did give him so much. Yeah. Uh those those Jimmy Butler for Chris Dunn rumors had legs. I don't know if you remember this, but during the draft, uh, there was a rumor that the Chicago Bulls would trade Jimmy Butler to the Boston Celtics, who owned the number three pick, and then the, the Bulls would pick Chris Dunn with that pick. Chris Dunn's really struggled this year, uh, and Jimmy Butler's been fantastic. I think you can make a case that he's played better than Gordon Hayward and, and has really been kind of a top, I don't know, Maybe top five. I I don't think that that's crazy to say. Maybe okay. I'll go top ten for Jimmy Butler. But he's been great this year. Uh, this is it's good that the Bulls didn't trade him for their sake. Uh, Casey Johnson of of the Chicago Tribune had this that this was there were real discussions and it, advanced discussions on draft day for Butler Butler for the number three pick. The draft is a, an interesting time, and it sometimes right. you get some really really weird stuff happening. It almost makes me think of. Back in high school when you had a girl that you were kind of sort of dating but kind of not dating. But there's a really, really good-looking girl that just moved in. You don't know how crazy she is, but she's kind of attractive. And you're not sure if you want to give up the girl you have for that girl. This is or... a convoluted metaphor. It, it is. But my point is you have sometimes teams get lost in their priorities. And 
the the new player that with all the the big p word the potential can be really really attractive and sometimes mm. you're crazy and willing to give up jimmy butler for that. <laughs> i don't know i i like the effort though <laughs> i think that was that was good uh speaking of which i was you know the the sacramento kings were in town this week and uh their their beat writer jason jones of the sacramento b was telling all these stories about how close the kings were to trading uh DeMarcus Cousins to the Los Angeles Lakers. And that would have been for, I believe it was the number two pick at the time, and uh, one of Jordan Clarkson or uh, Julius Randle. Uh, and, you know, that's obviously, look. you look back and look at where DeMarcus is now and, and where the Lakers are now. I don't know if that's a good trade for either side at this point. You know, it's, it's just the what-ifs of this league are really interesting. Speaking yeah. of Boogie... Uh, Picked up his ninth technical foul of the season. <laughs> We're 24 games in, and his quote on the matter, I can guarantee you this, it won't be the last. <laughs> Remember, look. it's 16 technicals before players start being suspended for every other tech. That's still a lot of technicals, but it, you got to love Boogie. I don't know if I'd want him on the Jazz. No. But he's fun to watch from afar. No, definitely definitely <laughs> don't want him on the Jazz. Definitely don't want him on your team. There are all sorts of Boogie stories that I just really can't tell on air and, like, not be sued for whatever libel or slander or whatever it is, but uh, he he is a character, and it is probably best that he is nowhere near the Jazz organization <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, John Legend is performing at the NBA All Star Halftime Show, um, that's a lot better than Sting, who they chose last year. <laughs> so, woo, John Legend! Uh, I, I'm not a big halftime show guy. I've actually never watched a Super Bowl halftime show. Never watched. An you've NBA never. Half- what do you do do during the Super Bowl halftime show? <laughs> I go outside, blow off some steam, and throw the football around. Go reload the food plate and just kind of. That's important. I usually just go outside and. and just kind of soak your eyes off the, the TV. cold air. Yeah, just kind of reset mentally, get ready for the second half. I'm not, I, I enjoy funny commercials, but I'm definitely the guy that's there for the game. Like, obviously, you're a big Patriots fan, yeah. so that's you, but that's true even when it's not a Patriots here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. But John Legend, Good. terrific musician, and uh, maybe we'll watch that one. And, I mean, honestly, I don't know that you're paying so much attention to the NBA All-Star game that, like, you have to give your eyeballs a break. Yeah. Because it's just such intense action, yeah. drama-filled uh, yeah, that's that's not <laughs> something that's been used to describe the NBA All-Star game. <laughs> a game in which last year the Western Conference scored 196 points. Yikes. This is a crazy story from Vice Sports. So, in China, there are a lot of NBA fans, right? Uh, but a lot of them can't watch the games for whatever reason. Mostly because they're at weird times and, and they're at work or whatever the case might be. Uh, so... Instead, they have play-by-play announcers that are live texting NBA games to millions of fans, millions of Chinese fans who just want to know what's happening in their favorite NBA game. So you go to this article on, on uh, Vice Sports, but it's it's incredible. Just They're sending texts every 20 to 30 seconds, sometimes even every 10 seconds. You read these these texts and it's just Julius Randle came to the high post, touch pass to DeAngelo Russell, passed all the way to the corner, Nick Young, shot in your face from downtown. These are three separate texts that describe one possession. No good. Draymond Green got the defensive rebound, drove the ball slowly to the front court, setting the offense up top. Like I just read six different text messages that's what's going on during these NBA games, and these Chinese fans, millions of Chinese fans, are just reading the game, coming in one text at a time uh, to their screens. It, it's crazy how much how much they like the sport. I love it. And I, I, 
Twitter is is kind of like that. A lot of beat writers will yeah. live tweet during games, and but it's not necessarily a play by play. It's more. It's, it's just, not pass by pass. Right. It's it's important things that happen. Uh, I I think there's a great market for that, and especially if you're across the world and at work or something. I don't know how I'd feel getting you know four thousand text messages during a a basketball game, but if I if you log into something like Twitter or something and and get a play by play, I think that's terrific. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's just incredible what these, what these guys are doing, and yeah. that there's a whole marketplace for that in, in China. Finally, I'll leave with this last one. Uh, Joel Embiid has trust the process embroidered inside his shoe. Remember, he's now being introduced at Sixers games as Joel the process Embiid. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just love how much Embiid has embraced the process, and that the team was losing before him and is currently still losing with him. But at least he's having a good time. You would think he played football at the University of Utah with how much they have respect the process. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would trust the Sixers process because it's maybe it's an exponential growth is what which, they're hoping yeah, for. Which, right now, it's still very much in the uh, the low flat portion. That's of that. the thing. There's the process. There's no there's no assurance that it's a good process or a bad process. We 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 may be just trusting some bad processes here. They did in my opinion, fire the GM too early. Because if they're going to do that, they might as well just stick yeah, it through. Yeah, Sam Hinkie only got three years. Yeah. If and, you're, you're going to do this, you need five, six years. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, like, they would have, they were offering to keep him with the organization, though not in a GM role, and he just didn't want to have non-total control over the franchise, which, quite frankly, I get. All right, we got to take our final break of the show, but next segment we're going to talk about the jazz player intro songs. Uh kind of doing a weird thing in the league that I don't know that's done by a lot of teams. I guess the Clippers do it, but I don't think anyone else in the league does it where they have individual player intro songs that each player is selected for when they're introduced into the game. We'll play those songs, talk about them next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The Utah Basket... You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Ah, the Utah Jazz theme song circa 2007-2008 by DBiz Ono. Uh, a, a not particularly fine piece of melodic composition. But we do have some more popular songs uh, to play for you right now. Again, as I explained coming into the segment, uh, the Jazz did these player intros for last game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, where instead of having like one big song, kind of like you know the Chicago Bulls and, and old-time Utah Jazz used to play Sirius uh, and would then get you know have Dan Roberts read all the roster information and announce all the players and everyone would get hyped. Instead, they're having individual player highlight videos uh, and then have a different song that each player selected for those introductions. Kind of like baseball and their batter walk-up music, right? So last game, the starting lineup was Dante Exum, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Boris Diaw, and Rudy Gobert. We're going to play those songs for you now. Let's start with Dante Exum's DMX, X going to give it to you. This is perfect. Yeah. It's great. I mean, this is exactly what you want. If you are if you have a cool name like Dante Exum, which is a really cool name, uh, and there's a song called X Gonna Give It To You, and it's like, that song would not be out of place even if Dante Exum's name was not X Gonna Give It, was not, did not have an X in it. Let's put it that way. 
Fantastic choice by Dante XM. Nine out of ten stars. Stars are usually on a five-point scale, but whatever. We're doing nine out of ten somethings. Uh, Rodney Hood. Let's play his. Again, this great name synergy. I mean, there are a lot of Hood songs. <laughs> there are a lot of songs, rap songs that mention the Hood, right? Uh, but Rodney Hood chose one of the best ones. And again, that he was so focused on name synergy with his song. Uh, again, would not be out of place in any given pump-up song collection in Jock Jams Volume 20. That song would be fine. Uh, Gordon Hayward. <laughs> I've, I've gotten more tweets about this over the last uh, 24 hours than anything since I tweeted out this list. Gordon Hayward chose Eminem. Lose yourself. One opportunity. Seize everything you ever wanted. One moment. Capture it, just let it slip. Yo, his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. Mom's spaghetti? There we are. Sorry, one beat early. That Gordon Hayward chose Eminem is so funny. Holy cow, it's funny. Like, <laughs> if you were to, it, I, someone else made this joke on Twitter and I just stole it for my triple team, so apologies for that. But, uh, if, if I asked you, John, if I gave you a billion guesses as to what Gordon Hayward would choose for his pump-up song, I think Eminem's Lose Yourself would be, like, my very first or maybe second guess. Like, it's it's funny how, like, just easy and it's on predictable. point that was. It's yeah. very predictable. If, if Gordon Hayward was a rapper, then... yeah, Gordon Hayward is a rapper. We've played two okay, video on yes, this show. Yes, but if he was a real rapper... You'd probably be you can, Eminem. You can hear the Eminem influences in Too Big Yo. <laughs> That's not actually true. You can hear no Eminem influences in Too Big Yo. <laughs> Too Big Yo is a terrible piece of music. Uh, Rudy, I'm going to go Rudy Gobert before Boris Dio, if that's okay. I, I'm going to change it up on you. I'm sorry. But I, uh, Boris is, is too special to switch out. So uh, Rudy Gobert chose uh, Big Sean's Bounce Back. This is not the song, the part of the song he chose for the. It's coming. Last night took a L, but tonight I bounce back. Wake up every morning, but tonight I count stacks. It's all about bouncing back. And I mean, this is the worst song choice of the five. Um, I give it four out of ten stars. Again, in my stupid rating system. This is uh, a this is a decent song on a summer night, windows down. You're uh-huh. driving by yourself, not in the middle of the city. Right. You're just trying to chill. It's not a good pump up song when you're being announced for a starting lineup at an NBA game. Exactly. And like, I guess I get the bounce back theme that like, first of all, Rudy Gobert is kind of a springy player, so he's he's bouncing a good second, third jump, whatever. That's that's the best justification I can find. Maybe he's bouncing back from bad performances, but on the other hand. He hasn't had any bad performances recently, so that's not that's not applicable here. Uh, yeah, it's it's okay. It's it's not the worst song he could have chosen, but it's 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 not great. He needs something with a little bit more pizzazz, I think. And then Boris Diaw is is just a legend. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> he in- he chose this song to introduce, and now from France. Your 6'10 power forward, Boris Diaw. And like, 
this literally 13th century Latin poem that was uh, put to orchestral music by this guy named Coral Orphan, the 1930s, and has been used in every single movie that's ever been released since then. Gordon, uh, sorry, Boris Dio chose it for his introduction song. All the other guys are choosing rap. He's choosing like this operatic melody. That's so, so funny. Maybe just because of this, Boris Diaw is now my favorite jazz player. That's absolutely fair. I, there's a whole lot of reasons for Boris Diaw to be your favorite jazz player, but this is this is definitely one. This this just grows the legend of Boris Diaw. Uh, anyway, that was fun. All right. A uh, couple other jazz notes before we wrap up. Uh, first of all, the jazz visited Primary Children's Hospital today. Uh, I, I was with them, kind of walked around with some of the patients, uh, as they visited some of the patients, I guess they visited every single child that, uh, wanted to be visited in the hospital and, and, and primary, primary children's is not a small place. So, uh, they broke up into groups and, and had, uh, kind of one-on-one visits with both, with most of those kids, um, for, couple minutes, five minutes, some of them really liked basketball and wanted to talk, and then they stayed for 10 minutes. It was really kind of fun to see um, how good guys like Quinn Snyder, Derek Favors, Joe Ingles are in that environment. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Check that out. We'll have a story for that about that on KSL News, uh, the TV channel, Channel 5, etc., on, on tonight's news at 10 p.m. Uh, I may have an article about it. I haven't decided if I'm going to write it yet, but we'll see. Uh, and then the Utah Jazz obviously play tomorrow. They're on ESPN tomorrow. Uh, it's an 8.30 game, so don't get there at 7. Or if you do get there at 7, take advantage of like one of the restaurants in the arena. If you get there early, there's like half-price food, and it's pretty good. I don't know. Uh, we have, I think it's Ryan Rocco and Doug Collins calling the game tomorrow. That's a decent crew, so that, that'll be fun. Uh, again, at Memphis, Sunday at 4, at, and then they play against the Warriors Tuesday at 8.30. I will be at that game, so I'll be reporting from Oakland on that. That'll be awesome. Uh, the Salt Lake City Stars also have games Friday and Saturday. They're revealing a new mascot on Saturday, a new cuter jazz bear is what I've been called, told. So Is it the uh, half that's bear? That's very exciting. It's not the half bear, but it's a similar, it's a, it's a normal-sized but cuter bear from what I understand. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's our show for today. Thank you guys so much for listening with, with Zach out. As always, you can download the show as a podcast on ESPN700sports.com or SaltCityHoops.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Andy Larson signing out. Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700. <laughs>